Great. Well, thank you so much. I'm Rebecca and I are like literally blown away um, by the generosity of this church and from you, Graham, and your team. Literally um, blown away. And it is so kingdom-minded for you to open up your space for us and to invite us here to speak to you this morning. And we're really, really appreciative of that. If you don't mind, I'd love to start by praying for you guys as a congregation. And so uh, why don't you join me in whatever way you want to, if you want to lift your hands, if you want to just sit, if you want to close your eyes. Lord, we thank you for this community of people, Cornerstone Christian Church. Lord, we thank you that the kingdom way is generosity. And Lord, when we give, we grow. And so, Lord, we want to jump into that together. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the next season and the next stage of this church. And I really believe, God, that you're going to lift the roof off what is happening here. And there's going to be increase. There's going to be lives transformed. There's going to be people come to a knowledge of Jesus. There's going to be people discipled, filled with the Spirit. And so, God, everything that you have planned, Lord, every prayer that was prayed, even in the inception of this church, when it was first birthed, Lord, we pray and we see that coming to pass in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for these people that you would stir faith in their hearts. Lord, no matter if they've been here for one month or 10 years or since the very first day, Lord, that you would stir faith and hope and belief for the future of this place. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, I just, as I said, I love that we're all in this together. And there's some pretty good reasons why we have to be all in this together. In fact, there's 2.4 million reasons. 2.4 million people, they estimate, right now in the city of Brisbane. And uh, if we, uh, put this nicely, don't get our act together as churches and work together and pray together and believe together and support one another, we're not going to make a dent we're not going to make an impact. And the stakes are high. You know, sometimes it's easy to go around life and just kind of encounter people in the day-to-day, particularly with our world's philosophy that says, look, whatever works for you, that's okay, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone. You know, but God places something within us that cares about suffering. And we care about human suffering, but we also care about eternal suffering. We also care about what happens for eternity and that motivates us, that drives us and that causes us to go beyond where we are. And I'm going to talk about what that's meant for myself and uh, my wife and our family. I want to show you a photo of our family. They're here. Um, My wife loves the limelight. That is the opposite of what she loves. Uh, she, she is here at Rebecca. We have three kids, Miranda, Joe, and Ben. And they are nine, six, and three. And that's a photo. That's probably actually a pretty good indication of what our life is like with kids. And it's a little bit of a whirlwind running around and around. I don't know if you're in that stage or in that phase or perhaps your kids are grown up. But um, we are a wonderful family. We're on this journey together. And as we've said, I'm joined by my folks who I absolutely love and I honour them. And you know who... 
if you were to ask me who are my heroes, my heroes are people who have uh, walked the journey of faith and of life and have a greater joy and passion for Jesus than they ever have in their life. They've seen some things, they've been disappointed, they've been hurt, things haven't always worked out exactly the way that they planned or prepared, but they have a passion and a desire for Jesus and to serve him. So a couple of things about me. Um, here's a photo of me. Uh, grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, the next one here is... Uh, well, there, this is, uh, we planted a church, my parents planted their first church when I was uh, almost two, so this is me in my first role in church. Um, I'm not exactly sure, I think it was kind of a, a worship creative role. Uh, I think it was an atmosphere pastor was perhaps the, um, I don't think it was a paid role um, because it was a church plan and no one gets paid in church plans but uh, this is me so I grew up in church I have a very amazing skill set if you grow up in church you've got particularly Pentecostal churches you've got great skills I'm a very good clapper yeah. <laughs> I'm excellent I can go fast slow I'm very loud I can shake the room I can change the atmosphere with my clapping <laughs> And uh, I remember I, I worked in Sydney in corporate for a while and there was a guy that r was really antagonistic against me and my Christian faith. Uh, he knew what I was about. He knew the way that I uh, served my community. I was a youth pastor, all those kind of things. And, and one day he came up to me and he said, oh, you're just a happy clapper. And I thought it was a great compliment. I thought, <laughs> that's a that's actually very accurate. I'm, I'm happy and I'm amazing at clapping. So, I mean, what's wrong with that? Uh, so I have a, very, a few very good uh, skill sets. The other thing is um, saving seats. With the contents of a small handbag from a lady, I could probably save this entire row. We could use tissues, we could use the individual mints, not just the mints in the container. And so if you ever go to a conference and you need, uh, you know, you've got a group arriving, call me and I will do that as a blessing. So uh, I grew up, born in Tamworth, uh, planted a church in Armidale, moved to Brisbane, this next photo. Northside Christian College, that's me on the top left, um, and then uh, my mother with a perm. Who here has, you know, this is an honest moment, because I think we, we can be real here, but who here also had a perm at some stage? Amen, amen, I see that hand, I see that hand, thank you for smiling sister, thank you, why don't you come to the front, no. <laughs> Perms were so uh, good. So that's me in the top uh, left. You will also see some other familiar faces. Ben, you'll see a middle row there. You'll, you'll probably see a Mellors on the top row as well. And so uh, 19, I think mid to late 1980s, Northside Christian College. There we go. Oh, I just broke this mic. Can we fix that? Sure Probably not. Is that better? That's it. It's not popping as well. That's a little bit better. Thank you so much. Okay, here we go. Exhibit A. Exhibit A. We didn't want to mention the hair, but he did. So. <laughs> Yes, so from 
Brisbane, our family went to Thailand as missionaries, and so we were missionaries there uh, for a number of years. And then uh, just as we were leaving, when I was 15, um, I had a real personal encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it changed my life. And who knows that each and every person, and particularly our children, need an encounter with Jesus Christ. It happened in a lounge room that first time, and it gave me this amazing spiritual momentum that birthed within me a love for the things of the Spirit, a love for the Word of God, and it kind of propelled me to where I am by God's power. So we, were, we returned from uh, Bangkok to Sydney, and I felt that I had a call to ministry, but I wasn't in a rush. Because growing up as a pastor's kid and a missionary kid, um, it, what I experienced was difficult. Um, and so I thought, you know, I, I'm not in a rush, rush to do that. And so I studied business. I uh, worked for a couple of big American companies. God gave me incredible favour in the business world. And that's part of my passion is to help people um, to uh, use and experience the Holy Spirit in their everyday and in business settings. What does it look like for you in your office to be hearing from the voice of God, to be activating your spiritual gifts. And so we were there, I was very involved in local church as a volunteer, volunteer, youth pastor, worship leader as well. And in about 2009, we felt the call to plant a church. We're in Sydney, to plant a church in Brisbane, 2009. And so we stepped out in terms of that call, we spoke with our local pastor. He was very supportive. And we started to make steps towards this church. And it was one of the most incredible years of disappointment. Every door just shut in our face. Our pastor said, look, approach some people. See if they'll come with you. All of them said no. We uh, went up and uh, we were in a different uh, movement of churches than the ACC and we spoke to some of the, the other local pastors and they said, no, we don't want you to plant there. It's, you know, within 30 kilometres is too close to us. And so I remember feeling one time like my heart was actually broken after one of these conversations and I, I had a, a catch up with someone. I, I came home and I, I just couldn't talk. I just had to go to my room. And so this incredible disappointment, I thought, okay, I'll just get a job and we'll move up here. And so I applied for a couple of jobs. I got to the final two. I was flown for, in one instance to Melbourne for an interview. In another one, I was flown to Brisbane for an interview. All jobs here in Brisbane. And I didn't get those. Then I got a job and I interviewed and I was successful. On the Friday, they rang up and they said, Andrew, congratulations, you've got the job and we'll send you the paperwork. On the Monday, they rang back and said, look, we've just announced a restructure. That job doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and so it was a really, really difficult time for us. And for me, I'm usually quite um, light most of the time. I'm usually quite up. And I got quite down. And being a good Christian, I knew that the problem was my faith. And the problem was my lack of prayer. Andrew, if you were praying hard enough, if you had more faith, if you were getting up earlier in the morning, then God would be moving. And so I began to put this kind of performance pressure on myself. And I remember one time, um, my wonderful wife, Rebecca, she said to me, you need to lighten up. <laughs> and do you know what? I did in that exact 
instant, I just, I just lightened up. And I felt that if I pushed this kind of dream that was, I didn't think it was a selfish dream that God had given me, I felt that if I pushed it any harder, I would create a child that wasn't of the promise. Many of you are familiar with that story about Ishmael a child that wasn't of the promise. And so we just released that and we just said, God, hey, look, I didn't think this was a selfish dream, but I, I give it back to you and I surrender it back to you. And uh, then we just you know, went about our lives as, as it were in, uh, in Sydney. And then um, from that, we had three different opportunities come up and one of those, just out of the blue, was to come up to Brisbane and work for another church, uh, which we did, a great church, uh, for almost uh, seven and a half years. And God led us into that. I want to share two scriptures that uh, have been defining in our journey. The first one, Matthew 6, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The other one is this one, Zechariah 4, 6. And so he said to me, they should, you should have these uh, guys as well, uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. A little bit about city lights. Pastor Graham mentioned it. We want to be light in the city. We want to release the hope and the healing and the freedom and the favour of Jesus Christ. And one thing that's been impressed on me as part of this journey is that the message of Jesus is simple, powerful and good. The message of Jesus is simple, powerful and good. And that begins to be a filter in terms of how we do everything that we do because it begins to change how we approach discipleship, how we set the church up and what we carry as a church. And this morning I want to give you this thought and the thought is following Jesus is simple. Turn to the person next to you and say following Jesus is simple. And following Jesus is simple because Jesus is the source of simple. And right now in this moment, you may have some questions, you may have some kind of mental obstacles, and you may say, well, it doesn't feel simple. In fact, for most of us, most of the time, life doesn't feel simple. I heard a, a Christian a business psychologist so a Christian, uh, Christian family psychologist, uh, quite well uh, regarded and renowned in, in Brisbane, and he said the greatest challenge facing families is complexity. And I think we all experience that. We all know that we have this inward understanding of that, that everybody wants more from us. And in life, things just seem to, for most of us, just seem to begin to be ramping up more. We have more choice than ever before. We have access to more information than ever before. We have more technology, which is supposed to make our life simple. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. What about the complexities about food and nutrition and diet? What about some of the things that we need to do in that area? 
And the common solution to complexity is sophistication. Do you know what? You say to yourself, you know what? If you were better, this wouldn't be as complicated. <laughs> you know? Ben, if you were better, then you know, things wouldn't be as crazy as they are. That's what we say. That's, that's what the world says to us. And we think that the answer is that we're more organised, better planned, and more knowledgeable. Do you know the same can apply to our Christian faith? We can think that for us to make our Christian faith work, we have to be better than what we are. We have to be more sophisticated in our Christian faith. We have to have more knowledge. We have to be better organised, better planned, better prepared for us to give this whole Christian life a go. Now, the result for most of us is that we either opt out or outsource. So we opt out, usually in small ways, we just check out. We just say, hey, that's just in the two hard basket. I'm just going to get along with my life just in the day-to-day motions. The other thing that we do is we outsource. Isn't Pastor Graham great? Look, he's passionate about Jesus. He knows the Bible. You know, he's out there. You've got this whole team, this great team here at Cornerstone. And they're so passionate. They're the guys that are going to do it. They're the ones. They're the ladies. They're the men. They're going to do it. All the professionals. And that's what we say to ourselves. We don't always articulate that, but that's what our thoughts and our inward actions do. But to follow Jesus is the call of every Christian, every member of every church community. And the good news is that following Jesus is simple. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not always easy. It's definitely not always comfortable, and it's not always convenient. And I can attest personally to that and those statements in the midst of what we're doing. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. There's a lot of challenge, but it is simple. And the first thing that we need to know about the simplicity of following Jesus is that God calls us to simply believe. Simply believe. This is a very, very well-known scripture for most people. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the greatest simplicity of all, if you think about it. So Jesus is talking to this guy called Nicodemus. He's very educated. He's very learned. He has high role in the uh, religious system. And he says, he says to this guy, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to follow me, what you have to do is believe. That's it. Believe. And what I want for us to do in this moment is go a little bit deeper because being around church a long time and being in environments like this, sometimes we can brush over or go over one of the most important and foundational principles about Christianity and following Jesus that God calls us to believe. And sometimes we can say that's something that I did but not something that I have. 
And we can say, oh, that, well, that's really good for the Graham Crusades, whether it's Billy Graham or more recently Franklin Graham, these people that are sinners coming to Christ and their faith, as we know, it's all based on this scripture, John 3:16. whoever believes. But what Jesus calls us to is this everyday revelation of who he is, that we believe in him. That I didn't just believe in him yesterday, but today. And you know what? You're going to have challenges to that belief. You're going to have questions. You know, in the stages of discipleship, one of the most normal things that happens is you question once you question something that you were once very, very sure of. That is one of the most normal things that happens to every disciple, every follower of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying to us, and he's calling, he says, I want you to believe. I want you to have currency in your belief. What does that mean? I mean, what do you believe about me like right now? I mean, it's great what you believed about me yesterday, but what do you believe about Jesus right now? Why is it so important? Because Christianity works from the inside out. And how we orientate our heart will determine the course of our future. Brilliant quote, uh, one of my favourites from Tim Keller coming up on the screen. And he says, The direction of the heart then controls everything. Our thinking, feeling, decisions and actions. What we most love we find reasonable, desirable and doable. What we cherish in our hearts most controls the whole person. So if our belief becomes old or irrelevant or outdated if it's not current, if it's not vibrant, if it's not within us, things will start to kind of wobble. Have you ever been on a bike or a kind of a, a car where you get the things are out of alignment? Belief sets our course on what Jesus wants. Jesus calls us to put him first in our heart, always to believe in him, to believe that he is real, that he is risen, and that he is returning. He is our king. He walks this earth. And when we simply believe, we always have the answer to the question, why are we doing this? You know, sometimes as you get along in church life, you can go through the motions and sometimes you can stop and going, why are we doing this? Are we doing this just because we've always done this? Are we going through the motions? But if we have that seed of belief and if we have that priority of place in our hearts, things begin to make sense and Jesus begins to move from the inside out. The first thing is simply believe. The second thing is simply listen. Simply listen. We have a conviction that Jesus will tell us everything that we need to know through the Holy Spirit. Jesus will tell us everything we need to know through the Holy Spirit. John 10, 28. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I mean, we could preach a whole sermon or a whole sermon series on this particular passage but how easy is that? What have I got to do as a believer, whether I'm a new believer or I've uh, been saved for 30 years? I need to listen. I need to follow. 
And within this, there's so much more. There's that sense of belonging. There's that sense of protection. And I want to tell you, having an active and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ is one of the greatest joys and privileges for any believer. Have you ever thought about this? God constructed something where whenever we're willing to pray and we're willing to listen, he's willing to talk to us. Doesn't that seem a little bit wrong? If you're the all-powerful God, that you would be waiting around and you would allow yourself to be in that position where, okay, well, whenever Andrew's ready to pray, when when he takes time, he always speaks and we can follow him. You know, our journey has been one where we've done our best to listen to the voice of God. We've done our best and we're doing our best to seek him. I told you that our dream to plant a church seemed dead many, many years ago, about 10 years ago. And last year, uh, around about July, we took some time to seek God, to listen to God as a couple over a, over a couple of months. And we really felt that it was time for us to leave where we were in that church and to step out into something. Now, here's the thing. We didn't know exactly what that was. And so we took that risk and we stepped out and we stepped out into nothing. And then in that time, <laughs> we began to pray again and say, okay, God, well, what is it? What is this next season look like and over about two to three months when we were taking time to pray and I was taking a day a week to to pray and fast and seek God God rekindled this desire within us to plant this church and that's why we're standing before you today you know what happens when we simply listen, the first thing that happens is there's an anticipation building within us that God is going to speak. There's anticipation. And when you have anticipation, it changes the way that you interact with the world. When you have anticipation, it changes the way when you open your Bible, you're expecting God to, to say something to you. When you come and you sit... In a, in a gathering like this and you listen to the word, you're, you're expecting God to speak to you. When you pray, you're saying, God, what are you saying to me? What do you, what do you want to communicate with you? And when you're going out in your normal day, you know that anything, the Holy Spirit can drop something into your spirit or speak to you. And you become more aware. You become more aware of the people around you. You become more aware of what God is doing because you've set your heart on simply listening. So God gives you anticipation when you simply listen. He gives you an awareness of what he's saying and doing. And he also gives you an area. What do I mean by area? He gives you a territory. You know, I believe that there are times in believers' lives where we are following the exact, you know, God says, I want you to do this, then I want you to do that, and then I want you to do this. But most of the time, I believe God gives us an area, and he describes that in uh, John chapter 10. He says, I want to take you out, bring you in, and take you out into pasture. And I think sometimes there's a fear, and think about it this way. Jesus doesn't take the sheep out, and then he says, look, Here's your whole area. 
but there are a couple of blades of grass that are forbidden. And so just, I hope you don't eat those because you'll die. You know, it's not a tightrope. Jesus takes us into a sense of freedom. He brings us with his voice into a sense, our area, our sense of purpose, where we can really go for it, where we can really flourish, and where we can really do what he's called us to do. The other thing that he gives us when we simply listen is an attitude, an attitude, a new perspective. He gives us passion. He gives us compassion, and he gives us boldness. He gives us energy to reach the world. And we talked about it before that this, we're in this massive city, 2.4 million people, and how are we going to reach them? Well, we're going to reach them when each and every person begins to attune their ear to the voice of God and begins to step out in obedience and begins to care more and more, and I know we do care, but get a greater and greater compassion and passion for what God is doing and what he wants to do. And that's how we reach the city, when we get this attitude and this perspective. And the last thing that he gives us when we simply listen is authority. He gives us power. He gives us the energy to do what he's called us to do. He just doesn't say, hey, you know, here's this massive, amazing task that I want you to do. Just go for it, and I hope you don't fail. But he empowers us and gives us authority to that. So a couple of questions. It's a really simple question. I know it's a big question, but I think it's a fundamental question. Are we listening to the voice of God? I know many of us have been in church community for many years, but it's the question we need to come back to. Are we listening to the voice of God? Do we have our attention? Do we expect him to speak? You might say, I don't know how to hear the voice of God. Well, then we start the journey and we ask someone in the community to help us. Can you help me? You might say, I don't know if God will answer. He says, seek me, I'll answer. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he says to the exiles, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Once we have that belief as fundamental and we begin to listen to God, he will respond, I guarantee you. Every person that I have ever met that set their heart on seeking God and his voice and his will for their life, over time, eventually, they have always found the voice of God. You might say, I'm busy. We'll start small. Make it a priority. God's presence and his voice are life-giving. So they come with power. As you do that, your life begins to grow and your capacity begins to go, grow. You might say, God has stopped speaking to me. Well, I'd ask you, what has he already said to you in the past? Go back to that. Start with that as a place. And so right now, even just for 30 seconds... Just if you wouldn't mind just bowing your head and closing your eyes, I want to ask you, what is God saying to you? Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? What are you speaking to me? What are you reminding me of? What are you stirring in my heart? Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are here. Your presence is here. You're speaking encouragement and life and vision. Amen. Amen. One final point. 
the last thing that God calls us to do is simply risk. Simply risk. We have this attitude when we listen to him. And risk means that there's an element that's unpredictable and unsafe. And most of us don't like that. Uh, I, I love the book of Acts and uh, a quote from a guy by the name of um, R. Kent Hughes. He says, The Gospels model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man. Acts models it as lived by imperfect men. And so we're called to, with the example of Jesus, this perfect example, to then give it a crack, give it a go. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was early to an appointment in Ashgrove and I was just kind of having a little bit of a wander around there praying and uh, I saw this man on a bench. I had five minutes before my appointment and I saw this guy on the bench and I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? I'll go up and chat to this guy. And uh, he was a bank worker on his break. And so I just sat down. I said, do you mind if I sit here? He was on this kind of picnic table in a park there on his phone. And uh, I had five minutes. I just started talking to him and uh, found out his name, what he did. I said, you know, he asked me what I was doing. I said I was starting a church in the local area. I said, can I have your number? And he gave me his number and then I followed him up uh, the next week and said, can we catch up for lunch? And he said to me, sure. And, you know, this, it doesn't always happen like this, um, but it did in this occasion. And so we caught up for lunch and I said to him, uh, and he said to me, you know, when you came over, I was in a pretty dark place in my life and I felt like I didn't have any hope. And you came over and you seemed like a positive person. And... You know, with his life, things have been falling apart in terms of relationships and finances. And uh, I was telling a, a friend of mine that story, and they, they said to me, oh, you must have some kind of um, gift for that or some kind of special ability. And I said, not really. <laughs> I didn't wake up that morning going, there is a man on the bench. Go and meet him at this time. Like, that sometimes happens. That would be pretty cool. Like, that would be a next-level story. Um, try that next time. But it's really about getting in this posture where we're going to give it a go. We're going to put ourselves out there. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, he's describing a picture of Jesus in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's a conversation between Susan and, and uh, a character that's a beaver, which is kind of cool, I guess, um, Mr. Beaver. And uh, Mr. Beaver says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And you know, as communities, yeah, we're called to be a safe place. But one thing that I say is we're a safe place to take a risk. And we go together and we risk together and we support each other and we pray for each other. And that's what God has called us to do, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. 
So the invitation to all of us, as I've mentioned, it's not just for the professionals. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the leaders or the worship leaders. It is for each and every one of us to simply follow Jesus, to simply believe, to simply listen, and to simply risk. I'm going to pray for us. If you don't mind, would you bow your heads? And this morning, I want to pray for a a couple of people in particular. If this morning following Jesus has become complicated for you and you've been disappointed, you've been hurt or angry, you've become confused and you're questioning things, but questioning things from the outside, not questioning things with God and in community, then I want to just speak a word of simplicity over you, the simplicity of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, just uh, while everyone's uh, eyes are closed and heads bowed, would you be bold enough to respond as a sign that you want to move forward in this area just by raising your hand if that's you? You're saying, hey, Christianity's become complicated for me. It's too hard. Thanks. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Specifically, when I was praying, um, my boy loves Lego. And, you know, he builds the Lego, takes it out of the packet, he's got the instructions. Then after it's built, it jumps into this jumble, this gigantic kind of jumble, and it feels like nothing can be ever created again. And I believe that there's someone here this morning, and you've got a plan from God, but your pieces aren't neatly in a section. They're in this big jumble. If that's you, would you, and you resonate with that, that image or that story, would you just be kind enough just to raise your hand so that I can direct my prayers towards you? Yep, I see those hands. Yep. Jesus, we pray for these people. Lord, we pray that you would give them the simplicity. And God is calling you just to take the first step, just to look for the first piece. He's given you the plan. He's given you the blueprint. And he wants you to take that first step. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would help them find that first piece, that they would know it, that they would know where to find it. And God, bless them. Bless them. Finally, just before I invite Pastor Graham back, uh, for someone here or a couple of people, you've started something significant, but it is stalled. You've started something significant, and God's saying he's going to bring it to completion. Philippians chapter 1, he who began a good work is going to bring it to completion. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to put your hand up? I want to direct some prayers to you. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for the grace of God to do what you've called us to do. And we bless you and honor you. Thank you for this group of people who are setting their hearts on you, who are believing, who are listening, and who have the courage to step out. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission.